I'm here for the long game. And you don't emphasize the strategy in the long game by creating chaos and anger in the city. This is one Seattle. One Seattle where we listen to one another. And I ask those with perhaps intolerance of what you see, bear with me. Well, that is Mayor Bruce Harrell defending what was, at least to homeless service providers, a surprise sweep of an encampment right outside of City Hall in downtown Seattle. What are the after effects of that move? What are we left with at the end of an action-packed legislative session? And what kind of a new development is coming to the First Hill neighborhood after an interesting maneuver from the Seattle City Council? Well, guess what? We're going to discuss those issues and a whole lot more here on Seattle News, Views, and Brews this week, your Coffee Break political podcast. I'm Brian Callanan. I'm a host on Seattle Channel here. The views expressed here are my own, and I am joined by David Croman of the Seattle Times Transportation Reporter there. And David, I'm not saying I enjoy it when we get things wrong, but when we were talking a couple weeks ago that it looked like we weren't going to have a baseball season at all, (laughs) and now we actually have one, I'm kind of psyched about that. Yeah, same, uh, especially considering the rapid demise of the Seahawks near-term prospects. Oh, it's God. nice to have a, a team that it might be going the opposite direction in theory. So Yeah, yeah. oh man, here's open. Wait, I, I thank you for bringing it full, 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 full picture there. I appreciate that, David. All right, well, thanks everybody for listening. As always, thank you, David, for joining me. And thanks to our patrons for keeping the show going, hoping a few more of you can come on board and join our mug club at the $10 level. Our mug club members actually take up a cherished spot on our show with the mug shot of the week. Patron Eric, once again, on the case, some mug action photos. He's concerned about two homes in Wallingford getting torn down due to Seattle's housing affordability and livability agenda and replaced with multi-million dollar townhomes. His quote, bad local government has real consequences. And Eric, thank you for sharing your opinion and sharing these photos too. If you do listen, folks, consider supporting the show on Patreon. Uh, Look for Seattle News, Views, and Brews while you're there. Also, check us out on Converge Media 2. The video version of the podcast airs on Converge Wednesday nights at 7. Let's get her going with right here, right now. Well, David, a pretty big date this week, March 16th. That's when Mayor Harrell is asking most city employees to come back on the job in person. And as a part of that, the mayor is intent on removing encampments with homeless people around City Hall, as evidenced last week with the removal of a number of tents across the street from City Hall on 4th Avenue there. This happened last Tuesday. So, David, this was a situation that played out over about two and a half weeks. You had these Stop the Sweeps activists protesting there. When the camp got a notice to vacate on, on February 20th, some of those activists started staying at the camp and shift to prevent people from being moved. But with city employees coming back on the job this week, I think the mayor made his decision. And with just a few hours notice, not the customary 48 hours to get these camps cleared out, he made the move here. What do you make of this, this clearing out of these camps? What does this say to you? Yeah, in some ways, it's interesting to me that this particular, I mean, I think this this is getting attention because of its location. Um, right outside kind of, City Hall, yeah. Fairly, mm-hmm. fairly large. Um, at the same time, um, at least pre-pandemic, um, this was a really common thing, actually, this sort of no-notice removal of, it, of tents from the sidewalk. I, I mean, specifically, I'm thinking of the kind of uh, Yeslow Street overpass mm-hmm. um, on 4th, you know, that that. If you, if you looked at the the schedule of the you know former navigation team, they, they right. would go to this location almost every day um, yeah. and and move camps without any notice under the sort of obstruction um, exemption from the forty eight hour notice rule. And so, right. you know, th- this is kind of falling in what 
uh, at least pre-pandemic was like a pretty standard thing to happen, which isn't mm-hmm. to, to comment necessarily on its you know value or utility or, or whatever it might sure. be, but it, right, it right, was right. a common thing that that happened. And so I think what's not- notable about this was you know its proximity to city hall, its mm-hmm. size, um, and sort of a signal that that the kind of uh, pause on these kinds of removals during the pandemic is is clearly disappearing. Yeah. Um, and then, of course, every time one of these happens, it it raises the question of like, d- I mean, does it fix anything? I mean, wh- right, where are these people right. going? Um, right. Are they staying there? Are is their situation? Are they just going mm-hmm. somewhere else? Is their right. situation actually being improved? And I think, you know, that that it is a question we ask every time when yeah. one of these happens. Remains to be seen. And I I think about this. The mayor's office said there were sixteen people roughly in this camp here. Seven of them accepted offers of shelter. So I, I don't know exactly how you look at that number here, but. One piece of it that that really interests me, David, is just the King County Regional Homelessness Authority, which is supposed to be coordinating a lot of these efforts. From what I've seen in reports, they didn't know about this. They didn't know about this sweep, and they didn't support it either. I'm trying to figure out how that relationship goes forward with the city of Seattle and the KCRHA, because moments like this can be very difficult in terms of the optics of how Seattle deals with homelessness. Well, and this was was a conversation early on when the the regional homelessness authority was being set up in the first mm-hmm. place. Right. Um, w- was that Seattle was going to retain uh, again. It was kind of the navigation team at, at the time. Yes. Changed uh, incarnations a few times and names, right. but you know, Seattle, uh, it was clear from the beginning, was going to retain this ability to do these kinds of encampment clearing. So it's, it's not, at least my understanding is it's not like any specific rule was broken, but it does expose, you know, the the challenges of Seattle retaining some of what uh, its previous response to visible homelessness under this mm-hmm. under this new authority. And um, you know, Mark Dones, the CEO of the Regional Homelessness Authority, has made clear that uh, they are interested in you know, kind of laser focused and only interested in permanent housing and permanent solutions to homelessness. And, and mm-hmm. uh, Don't does not see this, my understanding, as, as kind of yeah. falling under that. Um, yeah, yeah. And I, I guess just looking at that, I know Don's is also laser-focused on downtown Seattle, just got a lot of money from a number of different benefactors in the business community. They're saying, all right, we want you to really focus on downtown Seattle. I just wonder how Mark Don's vision really dovetails with Mayor Harrell's vision, because I don't know. When you see a sweep like this happen, I, I, I worry and I'm concerned about that uh, that work that they're going to do together, these two governmental agencies. Yeah. Um, you know, I don't, I don't know how it'll play out long term. Yeah. Um, you know, again, I, this used to be a, a literally a, da- a daily thing right. that was yeah. happening. Um, yeah. And so, um, you know, it's not a novel approach That's that fair. the city okay. of Seattle is taking. Um mm-hmm. But it, it is, um, you know, when there's a new mayor, I think there's always mm-hmm. kind of renewed uh, scrutiny on best practices. And yep. then, as I mentioned before, there there was this kind of pause in these sorts of operations during the pandemic. So, mm-hmm. you know, I think it does make and and uh, you know, it, its location and yeah, as you mentioned, right. the return to work of uh, city employees. I, I think right. it makes sense that it's getting renewed scrutiny. At the yeah, same time, yeah. you know, it should be noted uh, this is until recently this was this was the status quo this was yeah. a daily okay. thing that the city okay. of seattle was doing and so okay. no, but you know maybe people's patience is, are running out because um obviously the problem is as bad as it's ever been right right this is a big part of the of the platform that mayor bruce harrell said that uh, that that he ran on that got him elected so it's important to keep that 
in perspective, too. Thanks for breaking down those pieces here with me here, David. I, I wanted to move on to the city council, which will no doubt have a few discussions about these sweeps over the course of this week. But they're also working on a number of interesting issues. you got City Light transferring some archaeological artifacts found during some of the work on the Skagit River to the care of the Upper Skagit Tribe. That's an interesting sidebar here. There's a zoning issue, too, we're going to tackle towards the end of the show. But I wanted to focus on something, David, the Transportation Committee is taking up this week, something called the Seattle Transportation Plan. So if you're keeping score at home, folks, this is part of the council's budget for the Seattle Department of Transportation from last year. There was a proviso saying we're going to spend $2.5 million on an integrated transportation plan. So it's a 20-year plan. It's a new outreach tool, I guess you'd say, intended to provide access for everyone to safe, efficient, affordable options to reach places and opportunities. David, I just I know you cover a lot of different transportation issues. Is this a plan on top of a plan on top of another plan? Or what, what do you make of this uh, STP, if you will, the Seattle Transportation Plan? Yeah, I, I do think at least at this point, it is mostly a plan for a plan. Um, mm-hmm. Uh, which is which is fine. I mean that that happens. That's how these things work in government, yeah. especially when you're talking in in decades. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, again, it's it's early in Mayor Harrell's tenure, so you wouldn't expect too many you know massively specific things. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. But, you know, the the one thing that stands out to me, and and he said this early on, is this. Um, he he is talking about really increasing kind of outreach and conversation, um, which can mean, you know, I mean, on, on the one hand, um, he's coming at it from an approach of trying to, you know, fold in more underrepresented voices, mm-hmm. more people of color, communities of color into the conversation around transportation. Right. Um, on the other hand, you know, I think some folks could, will see this as more Seattle process. Um, yeah. It's not like SDOT does not do outreach. They have, they do outreach and they do. Um, and, and so, um, you know, I think it remains to be seen exactly what he means by that. But, you know, yeah. if you look at the Seattle transportation plan, a lot of it mm-hmm. is saying, you know, we're going to do a lot of outreach uh, around yep. what the next few, you know, many years under Seattle transportation mm-hmm. should look like. Yeah. Um, and and it's, it's interesting, too, just to jump in here, David. I mean, yeah. I know the mayor is still working on finding a director of SDOT. So that's part of the equation here, too. And then in looking at this transportation plan specifically, I was very interested in the engagement and information gathering is actually compensated to different uh, community-based organizations or community liaisons. That engagement piece is compensated at a $5,000 level. Then larger efforts to get partnerships and policy recommendations, that's compensated at a $30,000 level. So this is where it gets a little interesting, right? When you start attaching a money figure to it, I just wonder what kind of organizations are going to be involved and what this outreach is going to look like. Yeah, I, I don't know the answers to those. Um you know, of course, one can understand the thought behind that is to get mm-hmm. community voices as best as possible. Um, yep. And, and, you know, existing community organizations have access to that. Yep. You know, at the same time, um, I think we saw this a little bit with some of the police stuff um, mm-hmm. yeah, after the summer of 2020, which is yeah. <laughs> it is not a slam dunk to bring in folks and community organizations who nope. have not done this work before to, no. to do this work. It can get complicated really quickly. Um, yep. And you get a lot of, um, you know, there becomes a lot of process. You're talking about complicated contracts and deliverables right. and accountability. And, that you know, that, that can be tough. It, it can, and it can lead to some political rancor, too. I think you might be referring at least in part to 
you've got the mayor who was working on her, uh, Mayor Durkin at least at the time, who was working on her Equitable Communities Initiative. Remember that? The ECI. And then you had the Seattle City Council working on a separate piece here with the Black Brilliance Project, which had a lot of different boondoggles involved there with its financing or whatever else. So I think you're right. This whole process of outreach, it's it's difficult to pin down exactly what that looks like and what that means and, and trying to make sure that the mayor and the council are on the, on the same page when it happens, I guess. Yeah. And, um, it's a really complicated thing to know who is speaking for the community. Mm -hmm. Uh, I mean, it's, um, and, and I think that's why, um, the, the police stuff became so complicated is because, um, we, we saw pretty quickly that when Mayor Durkin established her task force, there was a quick response from some folks that, said well those those people don't actually speak for me you know they sure. don't speak for the whole community and that's right so that's you know it, it, that's that's what i i guess meant when um i'm saying you know on a you know sort of broader level of course yeah. you can understand wanting to have input from the community uh, you mm-hmm. know it does it does get complicated because you have to define who the community is and who speaks for that community and yeah. um more often than not <laughs> the community is many things and believes many right. things and wants right. many different things and so um I think that's where some of the fears come in of, you know, when you talk about increasing process and conversation and community mm-hmm. outreach, is that going to lead to um, delays? And I mean, it's clearly, you know, we saw, just saw the deadliest year in 15 years in, in Seattle on the streets. And, right. it, you know, it's clearly an urgent uh, time to be thinking about transportation and mobility. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, you know, I think for some folks, there's concerns that, the process could be too slow at a time when right. the, the needs are fairly urgent. That is, it's a great point. And this is the constant wrestling match for our city leaders, isn't it? Trying to deliver yeah. things quickly, but make sure that the process is proper and takes in a lot of different perspectives. Well, David, I thank you for breaking that down. And we'll keep an eye on what's happening with that transportation plan as we move forward here. But up next, we're going to take a final look at the 2022 legislative session in Olympia. What happened when the smoke finally cleared here? Quite a bit, actually. We're going to take a look at the highs and lows coming up on Now Hear This. Well, folks, it was a whirlwind of a legislative session in Olympia, and it's always interesting to watch the coordination of the simultaneous gavels in the State House and Senate to end things. TVW did its best to cover the moment back on March 10th, the final day of the session here. Here's what it sounded like. The 2022 regular session is adjourned, signee die. Senators adjourned. Signee die. Well, a lot of cheering there, and if you're wondering, folks, the traditional Latin pronunciation would be sine die, without a day, signaling the end of the session. But we'll let them say it however they want to. They got her done here, and it didn't go into into overtime. Uh, but, David, I'm just kind of looking past these cheers here. Our Democrat-majority legislature revised its budget to $64.1 billion, an increase of $5 billion in spending that is unprecedented for a supplemental year. I want to get to the transportation package at the end of the show, but just looking big picture here, were you surprised by that amount of spending? Yeah, I mean, I think a lot of people were probably surprised by the amount of spending. I mean, um, the forecast at the early part of the pandemic was that, uh, you know, overall revenues would drop because of economic hits. But, mm-hmm. you know, that, that hasn't turned out to be true. Um, repeatedly, the um, forecasts have come in higher than expected, and, and this session was was no different. So then the question became, you know, how do you, um, what, what should the legislatures do, legislators do with that amount of money? The Republicans um, wanted more sales tax cuts um, yeah. to happen. Tax holiday, um, yeah, you bet. Yeah, mm-hmm. exactly. And mm-hmm. uh, Democrats didn't do that. Um, 
you know, instead they, um, you know, saw that they had a lot of priorities that they wanted to be fulfilled and they were handed a fairly good sized check and they, they were going to spend it. And that's, that's what they did. Yeah. It's interesting. I know your colleague, uh, Danny Westney was talking about this in the Times. Democrats have actually pushed spending for the general state budget up 50 percent from 42.7 billion in 2017 to the 64.1 billion that we have right now. The state's population increased about six percent during that current time span. So just trying to provide some perspective on the dollars there. It's it's interesting to look at that. But uh, David, I just wanted to touch on a few more issues here. We talked about police reform a couple weeks ago here. The state did a number of tweaks on that to make sure those laws really take effect and there's buy-in from police departments on there. You've got wage protections for Uber and Lyft drivers. We talked about that too recently. But one bill that got through was a big one for gun restrictions. This bill that bans the manufacture, sale, or distribution of gun magazines that hold more than 10 rounds, making our state one of nine, uh, in, in, in addition to the District of Columbia, where these kinds of regulations are in effect. I know Attorney General Ferguson has been working on this issue for many, many years here. Is this another example of Democrats trying to make some moves while they still hold a majority? I know we've touched on that. How do you look at this? Yeah, maybe. Although, you know, as you said, it's I, th- I think it's not a new priority. Yeah. Um, but there just, I guess, happened to be momentum behind it this year. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. You know, the legislate this legislature, as as we saw, uh, nothing is ever a sure thing, even if it has support. Um, yeah. Sometimes the clock just runs out on stuff, and so yeah, I mean, I think um, this has been a thing that Democrats have wanted to do for a while. And yeah, yeah maybe you're right. Maybe because you know they they understand that it could be a hard year for Democrats, and so mm-hmm. maybe this is um, something that kind of rose to the top of the pile. Um, yeah. 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 Well, and, and we'll see. I mean, you've got all 98 House seats uh, up for up for bid this year, up for election. You got half the state, about half of the state's 49 state Senate positions up as well. Just uh, briefly on this as we wrap up this topic, some interesting departures, I thought, David, from the state legislature. Reuven Carlisle and David Frocht out of Seattle are not going to be running again. And then uh, you've got on kind of either ends of the spectrum, you've got Representative Jesse Johnson, who worked on so much of the police reform legislation, he's not going to run again from the 30th district. And then you've got Tim Sheldon from the 35th district, who has been there literally forever, more than 30 <laughs> years here. Uh, he out of the potlatch uh, area there in the 35th. Any thoughts here on, on some of these different people leaving? I, it just feels like a lot of familiar faces are not going to be running again. Yeah, th- th- definitely. I mean, I think for Frocht and Carlisle, um, that's... I mean, that's not going to change the balance of power in Olympia because they're from Seattle. Mm -hmm. The the, the question there, though, is is that's going to be, that's almost certainly going to be a a kind of left versus slightly, you know, slightly further left. Even lefter race. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. And so that'll be kind of interesting. I I would say, especially with Ruben Carlisle, um, Mm -hmm. that could, because, you know, he he has been sort of an advocate for, um, you know, incrementalism and slow yep. plotting Graduate progress reform. and compromise mm-hmm. and so that mm-hmm. would be that would be a shift uh, in in balance if say somebody more to the left of him um you know jesse johnson um similarly um not whoever replaces him not going to change the balance of power yeah you know, tim sheldon is interesting though because he's yeah. um you know technically a democrat but his caucus with the republicans um mm-hmm. and so that you know whoever replaces him that that has a chance to um, 
you know, yeah. I'm not I'm not a super in the weeds on the politics of this, no, no, but no. from my, no. my understanding is that has a chance to sort of actually have an impact on Olympia. It could, it could. It looks like there's a Republican candidate uh, who's working on entering that race. So we'll we'll see. That'll that'll be an interesting uh, one to track down there in the 35th. But I wanted to talk about another issue here, David, as we work through. There's an issue on the full council's plate this week where they're talking about something that I found fascinating here: transferring development rights from landmarked properties to allow for taller buildings in the neighborhood. So the focus right now is on the Hotel Sorrento in the First Hill neighborhood, 9th and Terry. It's a seven-story building, been around since 1909, but it's in a neighborhood commercial zone for the city, the NC3200, if you're wanting to know that one. Uh, The commercial area along Madison is actually the only area in the city mapped with that zone. So bottom line, I'm looking at this in kind of the bigger picture here, David. The Sorrento isn't usually using the additional height. So the idea is let's transfer it to other buildings nearby. Let them get up to 350 feet high. But they do have to be on the same block, the city is saying. And you can transfer, you cannot transfer more than 110,000 square feet of space. I just find this to be a very interesting way to leverage landmarked properties to allow for more height. I know this happens in other parts of the city, but downtown specifically here. But how do you look at this? Any concerns about what the city is working on here from your perspective? Well, yeah, it's it's fairly new to me. I, I hadn't really heard of this um, approach before. I don't. Yeah. I'd be curious to know if other cities do this. Kind of even where this idea came from. Um, mm-hmm. From what I'm gathering, it seems like in some ways this is kind of specifically targeted for the Sorrento yes. um, because they've got that parking garage like right across the street, and so yep. mm-hmm. um, it falls very specifically in the parameters of this um, right. this legislation, and so. You know, I, I don't know what kind of broader repercussions this would have. I mm-hmm. and not saying it won't. I just genuinely don't know because it's, it's yeah. a fairly novel approach to me. It, I feel the same way, and it sounds like there's a possibility of other landmark buildings in that same area. So I think the city council is looking for just about any way that it can to try to look at some of these different ways to add more density, etc. And uh, I don't know. This is going to be an interesting one to track down because potentially this is something that could be happening on a citywide basis. What does that look like? Well, the land use committee is going to be talking about it this week, well, uh, this week, folks, and we'll we'll keep tabs on what's going on there. But an interesting twist for sure. All right, we need to start wrapping up here. But I want to figure out what really happened with that state transportation package. What are we getting for those seventeen billion dollars, roughly, that have been invested in this? David's got a few answers. It's time for transportation talk. <laughs> Well, David, you have been covering the heck out of the state's transportation package just passed last week. I wanted to put a final focus on this. I know we've been looking at different pieces on this, but can you give us that big picture? What are we getting for this nearly $17 billion plan? I, I, there's one important piece, I suppose, here. We are not getting a new gas tax as we have with these types of plans in the past. Yeah, no no, no increase in gas tax. I mean, there is still a gas tax, but it's just not going to go any yes. higher. Um, right, right, right. Uh, yeah, the the... the a couple big ticket items. I mean, it, it kind of finished, it bookends a lot of projects that were promised in earlier sessions, but that turned out to be more expensive than legislators had guessed. So uh, I'm thinking specifically Highway 520 um, and uh, 405 and, you know, some, some fairly major projects there. Um, it puts a lot of money toward, you know, it puts a billion dollars towards building a new I-5 crossing towards Oregon. Um uh, which is interesting because that kind of has to be coordinated with organ legislators. Um, it, uh, yeah, so there's some fairly major highway projects, expands Highway 18, um, new trestle uh, 
on Highway 2, you know, mm-hmm. um, so some, you know, kind of traditional stuff that you would expect to see in a transportation package, which is, yeah. or we have in the past, like a lot yeah. of spending on big highway projects. But then yep. what's what's kind of different about this one is, uh, I mean, it's it was done exclusively by the Democrats. I was going to say, there was not a lot of bipartisan support, if any, for what was going on here. And and interestingly, the, the Democrats didn't dispute that. I mean, the, the mm-hmm. Republicans said, we weren't included in this. And Democrats yeah. said, well, there are good reasons why we didn't <laughs> include you in this. So okay. yeah. that, that they, they were sort of um, unabashedly partisan mm-hmm. about this. Um, which means, I think, that you see you know, when you have Senator Marco Elias, who's um, and and Representative Jake Fye, who are the kind of two leaders on this in the House and mm-hmm. Senate, uh, both of them are are quite pro transit, and you see that mm-hmm. reflected in the in the budget three billion dollars right. for expanding transit service in a package, which is um, not something we have seen from past transportation packages before. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, one hundred and fifty million dollars towards um, yeah, kind of studying high speed yeah. light rail, yeah, um, right, yeah. You know, and then there's you know a lot of it also is fulfilling obligations. I mean, almost three billion dollars for fixing fixing fish culverts, which the state is mandated to do. And so, um, mm-hmm. you know, I, I think um, in past transportation packages, you see these sort of um, a little more kind of horse trading happening mm, um, okay. to, to win support. You know, someone's got some very hyper specific project in their town that they want funded, and yeah. kind of tie their vote to it. Sure. Didn't really see that as much. This time, I mean, there are pet projects, but um, a, a lot of the projects, you know, a lot of what defines the transportation package is really massive investments in um, large-scale projects. Um, right, right. But so, mainly on the west side of the state, I know that was a criticism, too. Yeah, uh, it, it was um, west side of the state heavy. Um, the Democrats say, well, you know, we also put $3 billion in here for preservation and maintenance, and that will help okay. people on the east side of the state. But it is... Um, Again, not not necessarily something that Democrats denied, but you know when you look at the ferries, for example, mm-hmm. um, Senator Christine Rolfes, who's from Bainbridge Island, um, mm-hmm. said, "Well, yeah, we're spending a lot on the west side of the state, and specifically mm-hmm. on ferries, because past legislatures have ignored ferries, and that's right. why we're in the, the situation that we're in." So, um, <laughs> yeah, it, interesting that it became such a kind of fire firebrand. Um, yeah piece of legislation when mm-hmm. past transportation packages have not as much i mean not right. a single republican voted for it right um and then you know all I, as far as i could tell all democrats voted for the spending side of it a, mm. a couple voted against the revenue side of it um, okay okay so yeah quite partisan but also you know i mean i think i think we will see i think the the thing that we will see immediately in the short term is um, mm-hmm. free transit for people 18 and under that's kind of the because a, a lot deal. of these projects are going to take a long time to unfold, but that was the piece that they included because they clearly wanted to point to something right away to, to right. see that it made a difference. So, yep. um, yeah, $17 billion over 16 years, it's quite a bit of money. Yeah, yeah, and they're calling it transformational. We will have to see how that plays out. But just to wrap up here, David, I got to talk about one of the hottest pieces of transportation news you've been covering over the last week. You tweeted, I know we'll be back to normal when I can drink a beer on the ferry again. <laughs> you, nearly, you nearly broke the internet when you put it out there. <laughs> Is there an update on the beer ferry situation? You got any news on this one? Because uh, I don't. Yeah. Oh, no. no. Okay. I don't have any news, although I do think, I feel like um, this could be a story that could go big for me. I don't know. Maybe uh, yeah. I, I should probably look into it. Um, <laughs> Within reason. There's only so yeah, much research you can do on this, David. Be careful. Yeah. I right. think it's a little complicated because it's like, a, I, I don't, it's not like, 
it's Washington State Ferries who are selling you beer. It's like a contractor who works on the ferry who sells you That's beer. Right. So mm-hmm. I don't know what the state of those contracts are. I haven't. I have done zero research on this, but I see. Except for I my see. own kind of emotional uh, <laughs> longing to sit and drink a beer in the galley of the ferry. It is nice to do. It is nice to do. Throw a cup of chowder, maybe some popcorn in the mix. There, it's it's yeah. a nice way to relax. But please do all these things, including reporting responsibly, David. So <laughs> I want to make sure that we cover that. Thank you, David, as always, for joining me on the show. Thanks to everybody listening out there. Thanks especially to our patrons. It's Seattle News, Views, and Brews, where you can always find out what's brewing in local politics. The podcast is on all the major platforms, wherever you might listen. Again, please do support our show on Patreon. That is always definitely appreciated. Thanks for watching on Converge Media 2. We will see you soon. Seattle News, Views, and Brews is an independent production of Callanan Media Services. Copyright 2022.